This is our third week looking at a speech, uh, a speech, the speech that changed the world and continues to change the world. It was delivered by the greatest world changer who ever lived. And uh, he called a new community into being, out from the crowd, people who would leave behind their old way of life and become world changers. And the speech, as we've been saying, is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7. The speaker is Jesus, and the new community of world changers is us. Many of us here this morning who have been called to make a difference and to be distinctively different, as through our lives and by our prayers, God's kingdom comes here. Heaven invades earth. The invisible becomes visible. Now, as we get into this today, I want you to think about the various environments doing, about who we are and what we are before what we should do. You are your identity, salt and light. Now, two critical comments. Whenever Jesus says you, he doesn't just mean you as an individual. He means you, plural. We would probably say usins, okay? Now, I'm not saying Jesus used such crass nor narish English or grammar, but that's how we need to read this. Usins. This new community, the church, you are salt and light. And so, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And some of yours, mine. And how many of us have fond memories of singing that as a kid, but let's also make sure we sing this significantly important light of ours. We're going to let that shine. doesn't have the same ring, I know. It doesn't flow as well. But actually, we, we need to grasp this. You, plural, church, this new community that's called out from the crowd, you are salt and light. Second point, as I understand the Greek text, and I'm certainly a lot more comfortable with Northern Irish than Greek, but as far as I am aware, an actual translation of the start of verses 13 and 14, Jonathan will keep me right here, it actually reads, you and you alone are salt and light. In other words, God doesn't have a plan B. God doesn't have a plan B. God hasn't got another option in mind for making a difference in this world. This new community, the church, kingdom dwellers, kingdom seekers, we are the ones who have been called, and us alone, to be salt and light. As someone has said, the church is the hope of the world. Okay, let's take each in turn. So first of all, verse 13. You are, remember, identity. Us, as well as individually, but us together. You are the salt of the earth. Now immediately we hit two tensions. Reading this in 2013. Salt doesn't get a great press these days. Because of the role it plays in a variety of illnesses and problems such as high blood pressure. We're constantly being warned to reduce your salt intake, and many people nervously count the milligrams of salt in their food. 
And therefore, salt in our world is increasingly seen as a negative thing. Is that how Jesus saw it? Is that how Jesus saw it? Or did he have something positive in mind when he used that image? Second tension. We don't tend to see salt as valuable. It's cheap to buy. 80p for 750 grams of it in Sainsbury's. Other grocery stores and brands are also available. (laughs) Whereas in ancient society, in Jesus' day, salt was a highly valuable commodity. Many Roman soldiers, lots of you know this, many Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. It's where the phrase, he's not worth his salt, comes from. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, that conveyed a real sense of value which is sadly lost on us today. We don't get that. And we need to bear these two tensions in mind with Matthew 5, 13. Don't think negative, as in bad, for you. And don't think worthless, as in cheap. Otherwise, we'll totally miss this. Salt, you see, was indispensable in everyday life in the ancient world. And here's the thing Jesus is saying. You are vital to this world. You, usins, are vital to this world. We may feel small, we may be small. We might even see ourselves like the first century church. We're out on the margins now. We're increasingly sidelined. We're struggling, aren't we, as a church on the fringes of society? Let's be honest. Nobody cares what we think anymore, really. But Jesus comes along and says, In light of this new inbreaking kingdom of heaven that is arriving, you are the salt of the earth, you are vital. I just want us to to get this this morning, that we are indispensable in our world. Why? Well, why are we vital? Why? How are we vital? What is it that salt does or salt can do? Another bit of congregational participation, right? Shout out at me some of the functions of salt that we associate with this teaching of Jesus. Preserves. Healing, cleanses, savory, adds flavor. Let me give you seven, okay? Most of them there. All of these have mileage. All of them are worth considering. Definitely all of them have something to teach us. But there's probably one idea. There's probably one idea that stands out and is felt by most Bible commentators to be the prime thought in mind. But let's deal with the first six. And I would have had lovely images for these. So you just need to imagine lovely images, okay? (laughs) So the first one is this. Salt adds flavor. Yeah? It enhances food. Without salt, certain items can be very bland, plain, dull, uninteresting. Salt improves the nature and the experience of certain things. And as a Christian, that is our privilege. 
That is our privilege. We should have a similar impact. We are, get this, flavor enhancers. You are a flavor enhancer. Remember all those places I talked about? Home, work, school, college, university, neighborhood, community, nation, world. Are you a flavor enhancer in each of those places? Secondly, salt causes thirst. We've all had that experience. Maybe some of you are having it right now that after your, your bacon for breakfast this morning or that sneaky bag of salt and vinegar crisps, one some of you had before coming into church, you, you, you're dying for a drink after you've eaten certain foods like bacon, like salt and vinegar. Why do we get thirsty after eating those sort of things? Thank you, Dorothea. <laughs> there's, actually, there's actually quite a, a technical reason for it, and, and there's lots of medics here who will explain it to you afterwards. Uh, but the bottom line is this. Salt causes and creates thirst. It's just the bottom line. And as Christians, that, that's our calling. That is our calling. To create and stimulate thirst in people's lives for meaning and hope and truth. You are a flavor enhancer and a thirst creator. And following on from that, but closely connected, is this idea that salt stings. I don't tend to think of this one as readily, and I don't, I don't think anybody said it. Martin Luther and others emphasized this particular aspect of salt because they felt that any true Christian, any true church witness should have a biting, stinging quality to it. Again, and I'm sure we've all had the experience of getting salt in a cut or a wound. It stings like mad. And again, as Christians, what we have got to be, some people have suggested, is that we should get under people's skin to irritate and cause a certain degree of discomfort as they live in sin. Now, some of us some don't particularly like that aspect of salt. Don't like the idea that we are maybe to be biting agitators. Flavor enhancers like that, thirst creators like that, biting agitators, not so sure about. And yet, that is one of the functions of salt. It stings. But then you've got to go on and say, salt heals, and somebody, somebody said that. And some of you were, were thinking that as I described that previous function, because although salt bites and stings open wounds, there is also a healing dimension to it. It has antiseptic qualities, and as Christians, again, the link is obvious that by our presence and by our influence, we are to be healing agents. And we are meant to bring healing to a broken, hurting world flavor enhancer, thirst creator, biting agitator, welcome healer. Fifthly, salt is a thawing agent. It's getting that time of year again when the big yellow gritters hit our roads, scattering ice-melting salts. And as church gathered like this on Sunday, we then walk out those doors, don't we, in about half an hour's time, and we become the church scattered scattered throughout society in the rest of the week so that by our words and by our attitudes, by our actions, by our influence, we help to melt cold, hardened hearts to the gospel. You and I are ice melters. 
And then finally, fertilizers. <laughs> there are apparently many or lots of salt-based fertilizers that promote growth and maturity. And again, connection's clear that our function is to help those around us to flourish and to mature spiritually. That's part of what we've been called to do. We're to be growth promoters. And as I said, you could take any of these ideas and, and you could work with them and you could get so much out of them. But the most popular image or idea that many people associated with this teaching of Jesus, and somebody shouted it out right at the very start, because it is the primary one, I know that, is that salt is a preservative. That long before the invention of fridges, in Jesus' context, what was salt used to do? It was rubbed into food to preserve meat and fish and other types of food. It kept them safe. It reduced decay. And therefore, it was essential. It was indispensable. It was vital. And as Christians and as the church, we are called to be. And Jesus says, listen, here is what you are. Here is your identity. You are a preserving presence in our world, in our spheres of influence. So if you want to add another one to that list, you are life preservers. But for salt to preserve or to do any of those things, to flavor, to create thirst, to promote growth, you must exist in close proximity to whatever it needs to influence. We can't spend all of our time in this sort of context, in churches, ecclesiastical salt cellars. We can't spend all our time amongst Christians We've got to be up close and personal to the people and to the environments where decay has taken effect. In other words, we have got to be in the world. We have got to be in the world. Not to judge it, not to criticize it, but to make a difference in it. And when people in society around us deteriorate and go bad, When people around us deteriorate and go bad, let's not throw our arms up in horror, point the finger, harp back to a bygone age and despair the state of our world today. Because that's often what happens. But as John Stott said, we can't blame unsalted meat from going bad. It cannot do anything else. The real question to ask is, where is the salt? Listen, let me say this as, as clearly as I can. The world is the world. So let's not voice off at it simply for being who and what it is. But let's also remember that the church is the church. And so let's be who and what we are called to be, which is all of those things. Flavor enhancers, thirst creators, right down to life preservers. The world is the world. The world will decay, it will go bad. Let's not voice off at it. Let's not criticize it, judge it. Let's make a difference in it, a positive difference in it.
And so as we do life and live our lives in all those spheres of influence that I mentioned at the beginning, let's reflect, if you like, our true identity and be this positive, preserving influence in a decaying context. But look at verse 13, because was Jesus then adds a rider? He says that if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And there is a very real warning here. Very real warning. And yet again, and, and, and some of you are thinking this, lots of you know this, that sodium chloride, that salt, cannot lose its saltiness. Unless, that is, it becomes contaminated with impurities. Then it risks becoming pretty useless, even dangerous. And one way of reading this regards the issue of being, and I did say we've got to be in the world, and and I firmly believe that, passionately believe that, actually. We've got to be in the world, but not of it. We do need to be in close, close proximity to a decaying, dying world, but however we choose to live that out in practice, we must be aware of the dangers. We probably all know, I definitely do, we all know those who in their attempt to flavor and create thirst and fertilize and preserve have ended up being compromised by the world or have begun to embrace its values and its ways. There is such a risk with this. And I believe Jesus understood this. And most of us do as well. And therefore, maintaining potency is absolutely essential. How do you do that? How do you retain saltiness? And you see, that takes us back to last week. Because this all connects. This all flows See, Christians are often known for what they don't do rather than who they are. And who are we? We're the poor in spirit. We're those who know they need God. We're the merciful. We're the meek. We're those who serve others. We are those who are pure in heart. We attend the deep places of the heart. We are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. We are those who are peacemakers. And you see, as we align our lives to those beatitudes, we will retain and protect that salty quality to our lives. And therefore, we will remain potent. I need to move on. Don't worry, I'm not going to spend the same amount of time on the next verse. But Jesus also says, you are the light of the world. This is, this, is a, this is a confusing one. Because many of us know that on another occasion, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So which is it? Or, or who is it? Is it Jesus? Or is it us? To try and make sense of this, I, I have always thought of the relationship between the sun and the moon. The moon is a source of light for people of the world at night. But its light is not its own. The moon functions as a reflector of the sun's light. You see, apart from the sun, the moon cannot shine. 
It is our role to shine amidst the darkness, but the light is not our own. The light is his. We can only reflect the light of the sun, S-O-N, to the degree that we are in the light. And every once in a while, we observe what is known as a lunar eclipse. When the earth is aligned directly in between the sun and the moon and it blocks the sun's light upon the moon and therefore it eclipses the moon. The moon ceases to be lighted and has no light to reflect upon the earth. And you can see where I'm going with this because we live in a messed up world and so much of what has fallen about our world comes in between us and the sun. So much of this world's values and philosophies and ways of functioning that are far removed from those of the kingdom of God, they can begin to overshadow our lives. They can eclipse us, render us void of light to shine in the midst of darkness. And so what do we need to do? Yes, we need to retain our potency as salt, but we need to remain in the light of the world, which is Jesus, in order to be the light of the world, as Jesus says we are. And how do we do that? Back to the Beatitudes. Flows. Whenever you and I display those kingdom values, our lives shine with an intensity and brightness that is visible in each of our spheres of influence. Whenever you are a peacemaker... Whenever you are those who serve others, whenever you are those who are pure in heart, your brightness shines. And so Jesus urges us in the next bit, don't shut your light off from the rest of the world. Don't hide it. Why? Because you've got to be a visible witness. You've got to be seen. You've got to be noticed. How do we hide our light? By remaining silent when we should speak up and out. When we go along with the crowd despite our reservations. When we let sin dim our light via compromise or even blatant disobedience. And when we ignore the needs of others and we just leave them in a dark place. And why? Why must we be a visible witness? Why must we be those who are pure in heart and pure in spirit and merciful and meek and peacemakers? Why? Verse 15, for the glory of God. It's not to bring attention to us. It's not to promote ourselves. It's so that who we are and what we do point people to our Father in heaven. So this morning, you are the salt of the earth. You are a preserving presence. And you are the light of the world. You are a visible witness. And so the challenge is just go and be who you are. And some of us, I'm with this close. Some of us hear this, maybe have heard it again for the umpteenth time. And yet, as you look around, you say, you know, this, this is such a dark, decaying world. And the idea of being a preserving presence and a visible witness in it, 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 it just seems so hard. And getting contaminated or becoming eclipsed is a real risk. And retaining potency is a challenge. 
and maintaining brightness is so difficult. And so it's understandable that, that sometimes we feel, you know, this is beyond us. This is beyond us. We, we, we can't do this. We can't be who we are called to be. And to a certain extent, that's right. You can't. We can't. But because of Jesus, who empowers us via his Holy Spirit, this is true of who we are. This is our identity. And therefore we can live this way. So in all those spheres of influence that you exist in, go and be a preserving presence and a visible witness this week. And may God help us. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. And just before we serve tea and coffee, I just want to give a wee moment's silence again, just to maybe reflect, take a wee bit of moment, take a moment in time, just personally and internally, to just process this idea that, that this is our identity. This is who we are. Called, blessed, 